The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. We've got returning guest, Dr. Susan Plunkett, joining us. She'll be talking about dream analysis, plus channeling, maybe a little bit of past lives. Uh, she's a psychologist, so she'll talk about all of this in, in relation to her work and from her professional perspective. She's written books uh, that are science fiction books, but have a real definitive message in them as well. We'll talk about those, and we'll have um, have a lot of great questions and uh, great conversation about these topics with Susan. Looking forward to that. I did want to announce some of what I think is really great news. We do have a lot of podcast followers of the program, a lot of people that download the show the day after it airs as the po- as a podcast form, which is a great way to listen, by the way. The, um, the, the news is, however, that iHeartRadio has picked up the podcast and is now available on the iHeartRadio app on your phone or smart device, which is another way that the podcast will be distributed to more people. So we're thankful to iHeart for doing that, and we're excited about the prospects of uh, getting more podcast listeners that way it's uh, it's exciting for us so thank you to uh, all of our podcast listeners thank you to all of our listeners regardless of how you support the program and also thank you to iheart that's going to do it for our, our intro segment here we're going to go to break we'll get uh, dr susan plunkin on the line and we'll have our conversation tonight again talking about dream analysis and channeling that's tonight's Discussion on Beyond Reality. Don't go away. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm your host, GV. Thank you for being with us tonight. We have a great program for you. Returning guest, Susan Plunkett. Of course, Susan is a science fiction writer and a psychologist. She received her doctorate at the New School for Social Research in 1989. has been, for the last 31 years, in private practice in New York City, interpreting dreams using Jung's approach. Susan, welcome back to Beyond Reality. It's great to have you on again. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be talking to you again. I have to say, Jungian or Jung is one of those words that I'm always afraid to pronounce. For some reason, I have this mental block, and I never know if it's Jung or Jung, or is there no difference? (laughs) It's Jung. You said it exactly right. right, I know. It's weird because it's spelled with a J. Yeah, yeah, and and for some reason I get this this kind of this different U sound in my head, and I can't get over it. It's like words like I can't say biblical very well, and I can't say nuclear very well. I have to really think about those words, and this is one of them. But anyway, it's great to have you back. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Oh, thank you. Me too. So one of the first things I have to ask you because you're are you still in New York City? I am. So. I am. Um, are you aware of or paying attention, or do you even care about this controversy over the Christmas tree in Rockefeller Center? I am aware of it. Apparently, they brought it in, and all the bottom branches fell off. <laughs> 
And it looked like a giant Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And I don't know that that's ever happened before. I think you're right. It hasn't happened before. There's a couple of things about this tree that that make it worthy of talking about for a minute here. One is they found that owl. Did you follow that story? They found that little owl. No, tell me. Yeah, so when they... they took the tree down they wrapped it up in some fashion How, however they did that an, an owl that had made that tree its home either got stuck in there or was too frightened to leave and when oh. they and when they unpacked the tree in new york they found this owl hadn't eaten in a few days and was scared obviously it's doing well and it's the cutest darn thing but it was such a neat story that this little owl uh took the of trip course. you know <laughs> to new york city uh you know and uh, this is a country owl in the big city it's pretty funny well they tied it up in there is what happened i guess because you know when they bring the tree in they've got all they've got ropes wrapped all the way around it holding the branches up yeah tight to the tree so this owl got stuck how adorable and they rescued it i guess they did rescue it they have some uh, experts i can't remember the name of the of the group that came in took possession of the owl and are making sure that it's you know fed and healthy and going yeah. to release it when it's appropriate now the final point about the christmas tree is that that tree came from with much fanfare my hometown of Oneonta, New York, which is about four hours north of New York City. I know exactly where Oneonta is. My hometown was Ithaca. Well, I grew up in Woodstock, but Uh then at 17, we moved to Ithaca, which is not that, is sort of, your hometown is kind of between my two hometowns. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, Ithaca being to the west of Oneonta and Woodstock to the east. Um, so I'm a little embarrassed this tree lost its limbs. I don't know what happened. It's certainly nothing to do with the upstate New York air. We we have a lot of good oh. quality air and water up here. <laughs> Beautiful trees, too. Always I get my Christmas tree from Trumansburg, New York, oh, yeah. right outside of Ithaca because they bring them down to the market here. And I'm so happy to have a tree from upstate New York every year. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, we we didn't watch it in person, but you know, we saw clips of the tree being um, taken down and loaded on the truck and shipped off. And you know, Oneonta was all yeah. sorts of proud about it. I'm sorry that it's causing a little bit of controversy in Manhattan. Tell me, just on another note here, how are things in general in Manhattan? I keep seeing video footage, and I haven't been to the city in months. Um, you know, of of kind of you know, still kind of like a ghost town atmosphere. Well, in the night, it is definitely a ghost town. Like by 10 o'clock, well, not by, in the summer, by 10 o'clock at night, it was a ghost town. But now that it gets dark at 4 or 5, it's a ghost town by 8. It's not a ghost town in the day. And when I look out, when I looked out my windows, like last March, when we were first really getting scared about COVID, all, I live on the corner of 5th Avenue and 9th Street in Greenwich Village, and all the other three corners were also high-rises. Their high-rises are 14 feet high here, not so high because it's the village. They were always dark, mm-hmm. and there would be a window lit here and a window lit there, but our, the schools were closed, so all the families had left and gone to stay with relatives in the country, in Oneonta and Woodstock yeah. and Albany and everywhere. Now, when I look out the windows, uh, most of the lights are on. People came back in September because the numbers were better and because the kids were going back to school. But then the schools closed again as of now. That's right. So I don't know if it's going to get dark again. But it's spooky at night. It's very spooky at night. But in the day, 
people are out and about going to the post office, going to the bank, going to the grocery store. So it's kind of lively in the day, but Deadsville at night. So strange. Um, so strange. You are a psychologist and you work with dreams. Connect those dots for us. Is is working with dreams a normal uh, part of being a psychologist, or is this a specialty that you've carved out? It depends on what kind of psychologist you are. Behavioral psychologists, they don't usually work with dreams. But depth psychologists, Freudians and Jungians, Freudians following Freud and Jungians following Carl Jung, we, that is the hallmark of what we do. And because dreams can pierce the veil of forgetting, they can see around corners and into the future, they can reveal our complexes, they can warn us of things. So depth psychologists, pretty much all of us will work with dreams. But a lot of psychologists are not depth psychologists. They're behavioral. And they pretty much stick to behavior and not what's going on in the psyche or the unconscious. When you put the word Jungian before psychologist or, or, or psychology, right. uh, what, what makes that distinct? It means that you follow the kind of teachings and theories of Carl Jung, which his psychology was called analytical psychology, and he really believed that there was another who lives in us that we don't know. We have our conscious personality that goes around in the world, you know, dressed a certain way, doing a certain job, living a certain life. But inside of us, there is another aspect, a second kind of personality, but much more than a personality. In fact, I think he believed it was our divine aspect, that part of us that is eternal, the soul, the spirit, the spark of light that breaks off from source and incarnates, however you want to talk about it. So... And his theory really says that therapy and healing is never over until the conscious personality makes contact with the inner personality or the forever divine, infinite personality. And that's when healing occurs, when we actually realize our own divinity, our own godhood, that God isn't somewhere out there in the sky. God is spark in you and me and everyone listening. All of us together, we make up God. And, that was, and that's his theory. Yeah, and that was going to be my question here, because we've we've actually talked about that concept, which I think, and, and I didn't really realize it was Jungian in nature, but this idea that collectively we, we make God. There's a divine part of all of us, and when you yes. put all of those parts together through all humanity— that's the essence of God. Is that kind of what we're talking about? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. It's like we're each a candle, and the whole light of the world is all of our all of our flames, except we don't go out like a candle, because we don't go out when we die either, because that part of us goes on, that flame, that spark of light, that diamond heart. That is forever. And I don't... the moment we fly out from source. I don't want to get too far ahead in our discussion, but where did what, what did Carl Jung? Uh, ex, how did he explain what happened to our divinity, that spark within us after our physical death? Where does Carl Jung say we go? We go into a, another vibrate, you know, another vibration where we 
you know, I don't think he elaborated so much on whether we had a life review mm-hmm. or something like that, but Carl Jung had a near-death experience where in his 60s, and then he lived into his mid-80s, so he came back, but he didn't want to come back. He said he was so depressed when he came back because it was so much more beautiful on the other side, but he was stopped and sent back and told that he had more work to do, so he came back. So, of course, he believes we go to that divine place, which is love. I think everyone who's had a near-death experience pretty much says the same thing. Yeah. That is wonderful, and it's, it's a, you can't imagine the love. It's just such a universal love for all beings as one. We kind of see the truth. I have uh, spoken to dozens, if not hundreds, of people who have had near-death experiences on this program and other forums. And with the, with only one exception, everyone has intimated their experience to be what you've just described, something full of love and embracing, and, yeah. and it's very difficult to want to come back from that. I did have one who had a very negative experience, which I think may have been something completely different, uh, you know, just kind of lumped there into is, this. Yeah, know, there is a small number of people who do report that that they have had a negative, but there's very few. Very few. Very few. So how do dreams enter into all this? Dreams, where where they're not a near-death experience, they're very similar in that when you have, I guess when you cross over, you can see the vastness of your life and the vastness and expanse of, of love. Dreams give you a similar opportunity. Like when we're born, we on Earth, when we're born on this particular planet, we have to pass through the veil of forgetting so that we don't, in general, remember our past lives or our future lives because that's the rule for incarnating on Earth. But when you dream, you can dream of lives you've had on other galaxies and other planets. You can dream of the past. You can dream of the future because in the unconscious or in our divine aspect, There is no time. Just like physicists tell us, you know, we make up time because if we didn't in the third dimension, our heads would explode because everything would be manifesting at once. All the lives we're living simultaneously would be manifesting at the same time and that would just blow our minds. So we agree to this convention of time being stretched out in a linear way, even though physicists tell us that that isn't true that there isn't time and everything is actually happening at once and that we're living simultaneously many lives. So dreams, when you dream, you kind of can dip into any one of the lives that you're living. You can dip into lives that you would think of as future or lives that you would think of as past or other aspects of this life that you've forgotten or haven't happened yet. So dreams are like the most amazing gift you could ever have. Jung said it in a kind of couched way when he said, if you could talk to someone who knew you better than anyone in the world could ever know you, who had millions of years' worth of experience of knowing you, would you talk to that person? Most people say, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you can. Every night that person speaks to you in your dreams, and I believe he was speaking of God, or what we think of as God, our God aspect. 
our infinite self, our that, that spark of light that is you or me, speaks to us and tries to, it comments on our affairs, tries to guide us, tries to point out things we haven't seen, tries to warn us of things that are going to happen. But so often we don't remember our dreams. It takes effort. You know, it's a muscle you have to build. I have a couple of questions based on your answer there. One is, can we differentiate between dreams that may have a source in a in a past life versus dreams that are precognitive versus dreams that may be giving us a message about something happening currently that we need to address? Is there a way to determine, or is it the mere fact that when we have some of these experiences, if we don't recognize them, then, yeah, of course they're from a past experience or a past yeah. life. Yeah, I think that that's right. You have a sense. You have a sense of where in time the dream is coming from because you... Most people see images, some in black and white and some in color, depending on where the dream is coming from. Some people say, you know, if it's coming through your third eye, you'll see it in color. If it's coming from the crown chakra through the crown chakra, you'll see it in black and white. Um, other people say they never dream in color. Some people say they always do. But you, you see the costumes that people are wearing. You see the landscape. Um, you see things distorted, like the room you're sitting in could be in your grandmother's house in your dream. And that's because the, the, the aspect of the divine that is speaking to you is trying to make a point to you. So it's rearranging things because it's so powerful that it can rearrange anything it wants because dreams don't, they at first glance may seem not to make sense. But if you let it work on you, like carry it around in your hand like a jewel, it starts to make sense to you. Things start to occur to you about it. And you get in the habit of learning how to deconstruct your dream because dreams speak in symbols. They prefer symbolic language because it's so much more expansive than language and open to so many different interpretations. Language is kind of a limiting function, whereas symbols can be interpreted in many ways, and dreams often speak on many levels. So symbols, pictures work better than words. Make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. What is the, I don't know if reason is the right word, but what is the reason that for many of us, and I'm one of those people, it is so difficult for me to remember my dreams. I'll remember a nightmare. I'll remember the nightmare before I'll remember anything else. And I'll remember a nightmare, but usually only for the first hour or so after I'm awake, and then I completely forget it. Um, but I have such a difficulty, maybe even a block, probably not an uncommon block, uh, in remembering my dreams, although I know I have them. Uh, why is that yeah. so difficult? Everybody has four or five a night in general if you sleep seven or so hours. The reason you don't remember them is because the ego, which is running the show during the day, doesn't see the point. It says, I'm the one responsible for getting you across the street without getting hit by a car. I'm the one responsible for earning the money, putting a roof over your head, you know, helping you meet people, keep your job, and I don't see the point of dreams. The ego is basically the current personality. And they have a point. They are the current personality is a lot, it's, and it's having a lot of experiences. But the forever personality has a very big point of view, 
And since it speaks in symbolic language rather than words, it can be more difficult to remember. And the ego does not help you remember. You actually have to ask for the gift of a dream before you sleep. And then you have to practice or remind yourself when you first wake up, where am I coming from? What reality am I coming from? Before I know, oh, yeah, today is Thursday. Because once you know today is Thursday, you're in secondary process thinking. You're in rational, reasonable, orderly thought. And dreams take place in primary process where things can be upside down. You know, you can be flying just in your body. Um, So it's two languages. Like in the old days, you're probably way too young, but... There's a, there used to be floppy disks for computers. Oh, and, Susan, I'm not way too young for that. Oh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so if something is on one floppy disk, it's not talking to the other floppy disk. It's two different... They don't communicate those two disks. So dreams are... Primary process is one floppy with its own rules, and secondary process, which is rational thinking, is on another disk. And so once you wake up and you're fully rational, you can't access that other disk unless something sets it off. Say you were dreaming of white flowers falling from a tree all over a lawn, and then you walk outside and the wind comes up and actually that happens. Then you're triggered back into the dream. But if that doesn't happen, you've lost the dream forever probably. How does this concept and these ideas about dreams relate to visitation from departed loved ones in dreams? Are they a fabrication of our uh, divinity or are they actual? Okay. They're visiting because it's one of the easiest ways for them to make contact because over there is really right here. It's just a different vibration. And it would frighten most people too much. It would frighten the ego if they appeared to us in waking life. It would be frightening for most people. They would think they saw a ghost. And, but if in, they weave in through our dreams. You can be having a dream and they're able to weave in because we're in a different vibratory. We're, we're in our subtle body when we're dreaming. So the different rules apply. And you can really feel when it's been a visitation because that will often stay with you, a dream of someone visiting. That can really break through the ego, just like a nightmare can break through the ego. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And a couple of things about that. One is um, I've had visitation dreams about my parents, and it took a few years for that to happen, but they've happened. And then they they don't happen a lot, but they happen every once in a while. And you're absolutely right about it being a far less, um, I don't know if it's, it's, it's more of a disarming way to have that visitation. Because yeah. I often say that if I woke up and my mother was standing by my bed, um, yeah. I would be, I, I mean, I'd be happy at, at some point, but initially I'd probably be very frightened or startled or something. Out. Yeah, It would be traumatic. Exactly. But when they come in a dream, we say, oh, it was a dream. Right. But we know that they were there. We know they were visiting uh, because they wanted to communicate something or warn something or give us a message, and that's how they do it. The uh, one of our one of our uh, chat room members uh, kind of asked a question about visitations, but went on to ask, 
can uh, spirits maybe they don't enter a dream, but can they influence the dreaming from from without actually becoming part of the dream? I imagine they can. I I don't know how we would know that, but um, I don't see why not. If they can weave into a dream, why couldn't they send a message through the dream? Right. But I'm not sure how we would know it was them, unless it was particularly the way they spoke or something they always said. Uh, we're talking with uh, Susan Plunkett tonight. Her website is her name, susanplunkett.com. Also the author of several books, including Mission from Venus and The Wanderers on Earth. We're going to be talking about those books a little later in our discussion here. I want to get back to this idea of past lives, Susan. Um, you say they're an important part of this dreaming process and an important part of our divinity. Uh, I had asked earlier what happens to our divinity when our physical body dies, you said it goes to a higher vibration, it becomes part of a greater divinity, but it must return. If we have past lives, we must be coming back at some point. Yeah, I think we're coming back not only to planet Earth. I mean, many of us probably have reincarnated on Earth many, many times, but we've also incarnated in other galaxies on other planets. I was talking to an intuitive about a month ago, and she said, they're telling me to tell you and I don't mean to scare you, Susan, but I'm, they're telling me to tell you that your next life will be in a very distant galaxy. I thought she said the Sombrero Galaxy, but maybe not. And she said you will be uh, working only with light. And I thought, that doesn't scare me, but it makes me sad because I love Earth. I, I love Earth. I, I like think Earth is so beautiful. Um, so I felt sad, but I guess, you know, I know that probably all of us have had lives in other galaxies and other planets. And, you know, we're, we came to Earth to have life in the third dimension because we have to evolve through all the dimensions on our journey back to Source. So when you're no longer third dimensional, you incarnate on a fourth dimensional planet and then a fifth dimensional planet. So, but of course now Earth is going into the fourth dimension, so people can have a fourth-dimensional experience right here, probably in their very next incarnation if they want. When you say a fourth-dimensional planet or a fifth-dimensional planet, I mean, my understanding of planets is, you know, what we know. We, we know what Earth is. Yeah. We know, you know, we've got Mars and we've got, uh, you know, eight other planets in the solar system here, and they're all, from what I would understand, third-dimensional planets. Is a fourth-dimensional planet something different, or is it just another way to describe one of these other planets maybe in a different galaxy, different solar system? It's, it's only different in that the vibration that's needed, that the vibration the planet itself has, like Earth is now nearly fourth dimensional as a planet. It will move through the dimensions no matter what the humans living on it do. But in order to be on a planet, your vibration has to match the vibration of the planet. So third dimension is a planet of duality, strong and weak, tall and short, old and young, you know, all the opposites. We're always trying to bring the opposites together here. In the fourth dimension is not a planet of duality. There's not love and hate. There's only love. It's where we've learned about love for all beings as one. And when we get to the four, what I'm telling you isn't law. What I'm telling you is just what's been channeled to me. Sure. Um, in case your readers might not know this, but 
about 10 years ago, I was told that I was a channel and I was afraid and I wouldn't let anything through because I was not afraid to channel, but I was afraid of dark energy channeling that. And I I didn't want to. I was afraid that that... But then I learned how to control that. So um, I just let the energy come through and that's what the books are about, what I've been told. So what I've been told is that Earth is now moving into the fourth dimension and whoever will incarnate here will have to be fourth dimensional going forward. That is, after whoever here now dies, if they want to come back here, they will have to understand that it is love for all beings as one. And, you know, what's so fascinating is that America, the United States, the motto for American America started out with the Founding Fathers as out of the many one, e pluribus unum. That's right. Out of the many one. And that, in America, was meant to be the way shower um, about how all could live equally and all could love. And that's a fourth dimensional concept, which is very hard in the third dimension. But we will get there, and we are getting there. So so that's that's the difference, as it has been told to me. And I don't know so much about the fifth, sixth dimensions, except that there are further refinements on love and consciousness. And I got the impression, although they didn't channel this exactly like this, that you, that the dimensions come an octave. So it would be first, second, third, fourth, sixth, seventh, and then another octave of first, second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh. And I don't know many how many octaves until we get back to source where we are again one with the divine, of which we are an aspect, which is why I think we suffer so much loneliness on earth, because we're lonely not being part of our whole, because we were in perfect union when we were part of source. And then when we flew out, each of us as, as a different spark, it's lonely. And we overcome that with loving loving other people um, who are also divine, but I think there's always kind of a loneliness until we get all the way back. You mentioned we are in a transition here on Earth. Yeah. You said when everybody living, I'm not sure if you used the word today, but something in that reference, yeah. departs the, the next, you know, the next to come will be have to adapt to the fourth dimension or be part of the fourth dimension here. Now, are you talking about everybody that's live today, or are you talking about when humanity, say, as a species, no, dies out the about, next? No, I'm just talking about everybody that's alive on Earth now. As each of us transitions to the other side, mm-hmm. if we can hold enough light to be vibrating with the vibration of loving all beings as one, then we will have the freedom to reincarnate on a fourth dimensional Earth. If we do not hold enough love, if we are still only involved with love of self only, only, you know, all I care about is my myself and what I need and what I want, and I can just be a grifter or greedy and get that, then that consciousness could not survive on a fourth dimensional planet because the vibration of the fourth dimension is love for all beings as one. And the third dimensional being could not sustain that amount of light energy, that amount of spiritual energy. So they would go 
to another planet that is still third dimensional, and they could continue their evolution for another 75,000 years. And then at the end of that 75,000 years, they would have a chance once again to see if they could had learned enough lessons about love to make it into the fourth dimension, and then they could go on and incarnate on a planet that was fourth dimensional. And I say 75,000 years just because that's what I was told, and that, you know, you can go through many periods, and you just keep getting, you don't, you just, you know, everyone gets home. In the end, everyone gets back to source. It's just how long you want to take and how long you want to travel the dark path of love only of self. And when do you decide to jump onto the path of light, of loving all beings as one? Then your journey is a lot faster. But eventually everyone will come back to loving, to the knowledge that we are all one, because we are all divine. Susan, but you can spend time, you know, mm-hmm. fooling around on the dark path if you want. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you mentioned uh, becoming a channeler and getting receiving much of this information through that channel. Where is the channel source? Where's the information coming from? Is it is it is it the greater God that we talked about? This collection of divinity. Yeah, it's coming from the formless universe. As much as they tell me, like when I ask just that question, like who. Who is talking to me? Yeah. They say, we're the first beings. We're coming from the formless universe. We've known you many lifetimes. You have been a scribe for us before. In the Middle Ages, you were a scribe. So I think they think that I'm just a scribe, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm not even an author. Kind I'm of an executive a... assistant or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just a scribe. Now, instead of using a quill, they've given me a computer. So, um, but they're, you know, they're, they're not scary at all. I think, well, they said to me, you know, we download a lot of this to you when you're sleeping, and then that's why you only write in the morning, and it's true. I can't write past the morning, mm. um, because either I've forgotten it or I'm not in touch with it or the day takes over, so I start seeing patients in the afternoon and evening but I keep the morning free. I take the dog every morning to Washington Square Park for the dog run, and then I come home and I immediately, like, download whatever comes out based on, I guess, what they've downloaded in the night. Sometimes I feel it drop into my receiver, which is my brain. I call my brain my receiver. Um, I feel it come in at the when I'm at the computer because it comes from I don't know well where did that come from boom, but other times I'm writing along and I feel like oh well, I'm just spinning out what they already told me, so it's not like I see them, but if they're doing it while I'm at the computer I feel surrounded by a very loving presence. And you can actually sides, you can actually feel that it's a warmth I that you feel. feel that yeah yeah I feel that on the right and left. So, you know, once I found that I could choose who to let through, that I didn't have to let any negative entities speak, um, that, I, that I could just direct my own higher self and the divine to only let through sources of light, then that's what comes through. And I trust that my higher self protects me. 
and only lets through those messages because all the messages I get are very beautiful about what's possible for each and every human. And it's made me so much happier. Yeah. Yeah. When we talk about these past lives that we, that come to us in dreams or affect everything we do, basically, particularly the ones that may not have been an Earth past life, yeah. why, just like dreams, but even more so than dreams, why don't we remember them as a matter of course? You mean why we don't remember our past lives? Yes. When you are in the fourth, when you are fully fourth dimensional, which you will be, you will be able to remember all of them all the time. The third, what they have told me is that the third dimension is the only dimension where we don't remember, where we're not allowed to remember our past lives, specifically the third dimension on Earth, because there's an element to life on Earth which was set up to be an experiment. In other words, could source, could sparks of source, sparks of God, who pass through the third dimension on Earth, find their way back to Source without remembering that that's what they're doing, that that's been their mission all along to get back to God. So Earth is surrounded, and I believe it's the only, it's definitely the only planet in our solar system, but it's the only, maybe the only planet in any galaxy that has that rule that not, we not only have a quarantine around Earth where you're not supposed to slip through it and abduct people or do any stuff like that, but sometimes that may happen, but we have this veil of forgetting to see if we could wake up in this dimension and remember that we are God. And we are waking up because a lot of people know it now because someone woke me up I mean, my own higher self woke me up, and not only my own higher self, but any any intuitive I've ever worked with or any ch- other channeler or shaman or healer, they all helped so much in waking me up. And that's why I write, I believe my mission is to write these books to help other people wake up, because if these books have anything to say, their message of the message of this trilogy is you are divine everyone is divine there's nothing to fear we're all going to make it home the the happiness of every single being in the long run is assured and and i really feel that yeah i'm a psychologist and i i can help people that way but my real mission and this is what intuitives have told me, yeah, your real mission is to tell everyone this through these books. And that's why you were instructed to write them as a story, because it's much easier for people to get a message in story form. But all they need, otherwise you could have just said, you are divine. Rejoice, you are divine, you are all divine. That was the message of all the avatars, Jesus, Buddha, Mohammed, you know, you are love. You are love and you are beloved. And I think that's what I'm supposed to do. But instead of just saying it in two sentences, you know, I have to I have to write three books and make a trilogy. 
Um, well, in addition to writing three books, you've created material that people can actually not only get a message from, but be entertained by as well. And get, yeah, you they know, can be entertained exactly. by it and, you know, follow along with these, you know, of all the wanderers that I start out having trained on Venus, I really just follow eight of them. Um, and so you get to know these eight. There are fifth-dimensional beings who 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 agree to give up all their higher-dimensional powers and all their consciousness of who they are and forget who they were, pass through the veil of forgetting, be born as human infants, grow up, and try to remember that they're here on Earth on a mission to tell other beings on Earth that they are divine. And at the same time they're trying to do that, the Dark Lords of Orion are trying to kill them before they get that message out because the Dark Lords want to enslave everyone on Earth. You know, they want they want to grab Earth for the dark side. I mean, there's always kind of a tension between dark and light. But light, every time the dark rises, the light rises. And eventually, and there's so much more good in the universe than evil, so that eventually evil can never win. Yeah, they can mess around. They can mess around, and people can mess around on the dark side of, only love of only self and love of power. But. So I have to, I mean, let me just interrupt you for a second here, because I want to understand what the dark side is as you're referencing it here. You, you've you uh, indicated love of self, so, you know, some type of, I don't know, greed, I'm assuming, is part yeah. of that. You know, is that what we're talking about? I mean, these are regular run-of-the-mill, in fact. I mean, they're very common human emotions, but th- this is the dark side you're referring to? Yeah, and but it's... If you stretch it out, if you really talk about the way you advance on the dark on the path of the dark side is to take power over other people because you you love only yourself, you want everything only for yourself, so you want everyone else to serve you and you want them to be enslaved to you. So the dark path, one part of the dark path would be slavery, enslaving other beings to your will. You don't care about them. You just want them to do your will. So when you love only yourself and you don't care about anyone else, it can get very dark because the ultimate power you take over another is to end their life. Well, worse than that, to drag them onto the dark side, to seduce them onto the dark side. But other than that, to take their life, to take the life of another person is to ultimately take all their power away for them to grow anymore in this dimension. So that is the dark path, enslaving or murdering or, you know, making them work for you. And the path of light, you don't want anything for yourself that you don't want for all beings. You want all beings to be free from worry, free from fear, free from want. And that includes animals and people and trees whereas the dark side doesn't care about anybody but themselves, and they can get quite far and quite powerful. You can go up to the sixth dimension on the dark side, but after that there's no way forward except on the path of light. So those beings have to make the jump over to the light side to go further because you can't go back to source on the path of the dark side of love only of self because source is about love for all beings as one. So they get stopped. But they can do a lot, and they can hurt a lot of other beings, and um, 
But in fact, they're serving the Creator in their own way too, by just loving themselves, even if loving themselves involves enslaving other people, torturing other people, murdering other people. That's the dark path. I want to go back to dreams specifically. We've talked about um, how dreams connect us to our past lives. Um, Do they have any other purpose? I mean, we've talked maybe a little bit about precognitive and and enlightening type dreams, but what are the other purposes that dreams serve in relationship to this progression that we're talking about? Well, they serve the purpose in the particular life you're in of warning you in two ways. They can warn you about events that are about to happen in order to prepare you psychologically for the event. So if you're going to need if it's going to be a very traumatic event, you might need 6 months of preparation. So you might be having a recurring dream or a dream trying to warn you of an event. For many months, or it might start warning you a few weeks in advance. Or if there's something in your psyche that you're just not getting that would help you to get, it will sometimes give you a recurring dream, like keep banging on the door of your consciousness, hey, get this, get this, wake up to this, wake up to this. Um, So they can serve, Jung had a dream, for example, that a black elephant uprooted an oak tree in the forest. In other words, it took the tree's roots out of the earth, disconnected it from the earth. And since we have roots, we have a taproot, each human, when we're born, we have a taproot put down into the earth in the place where we are born. And when we die, that taproot comes up. So Jung knew that that was a dream about death. He thought it was a dream about his own death. He thought the black elephant was uprooting the oak tree was him, symbolic of him, because death dreams death dreams do not represent a human death as a human because the psyche understands that we don't ever die. The soul always lives. So it will represent the human death in a more symbolic way, a tree being uprooted a person getting on a train and then the train tracks running out. Or another, or another variation on that is um, everyone else can get on the train to go further, but every time you try to, the train stops. The doors won't open. So it's, death dreams are not what you'd expect. So that particular dream about the black elephant uprooting the oak tree was not his death, but it was his beloved's death. It was warning him of her death. Hmm. And she did die within a few weeks suddenly. So he, he didn't know. So sometimes we don't know what a dream is warning us of until after the fact. We know it's warning of something, but we may not know what. I, I did have a question, actually, from one of our chat room members as well. Um, talking about something similar to a death dream, but a dream of getting injured or shot and actually witnessing your own funeral. Is that different than what you just described? Uh, You know, that would depend on where in the body the person was shot and how they felt about being shot. That could have been a past life and a past funeral that they saw. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it could have been that they feel 
wounded in some way, and that wound will cause a transformation. Because if you dream, if you should happen to dream of the death of your, of your physical body dying, mm-hmm. it's not usually death. It's usually you are going to die to your old self and go through emotional, psychological changes and evolve as a human in this life. Because the psyche does not represent, in general, human death as a human dying. Unless you're sometimes, if you're dreaming of another person, you may be warned. But even then, they will do it more symbolically. Like when my own father died, eight days before he died, I had a dream that I was standing on a platform in space, and I saw the Earth, that NASA photo, the blue and white one, and it flipped upside down. Now, I sat up in bed and I said, what? The earth flipped upside down? My world is going to turn upside down? And the only reason I could think that it was attached to my father at all was because when I looked down at the platform I was standing on, it was a basketball court, and he had been a professional basketball player. So I thought, mm. oh my God, my father's going to die. And he did die eight days later, and he oh, wasn't wow. even but he was 88 so you know your dreams so that was a death dream but that doesn't look like a death dream does right. it no no it doesn't yeah. no yeah. but it was my psyche's way of telling me when you hear that your father's going to the hospital you cancel all your patients you rent a car and you drive up to Ithaca yeah which is what I did so I spent <laughs> the last eight days of his life with him which was great yeah when, without the dream I wouldn't have known that right and without being able to understand what the dream was telling you. I mean, that's part of, I think, right. probably the problem a lot of people have. And another part of this is that you said uh, most people, if they get seven, eight hours sleep a night, will have three, four, maybe five dreams during the course yeah. of the night. Yeah. But even people that are good at remembering their dreams don't remember all three or four or five dreams. And oh, usually the last one. Yeah, and, and they'll only remember a fragment of it. Why only a fragment? Is that the most important part of it? I guess because that's what gets through, or it might be the most important part, because the dreams go on. If you conceptualize dreams as you in other dimensions, um, then you can dip in any time you fall asleep. Like if you're really tired and you're just sitting up at your desk and you shut your eyes, you might find yourself in what you think of as a daydream, but you're tripped into another reality already, and you're not even asleep. That's all going on all the time, and we're just seeing fragments. Whatever we remember is just a fragment. And that and that's true for you said daydreaming as well. Our, our, yeah, our, daydreaming. We're making those connections even though we're not asleep. Right, because you, if you're sitting there, sometimes your mind starts to wander, and then you find you're in slightly a different reality. You know, you're daydreaming of some other strange thing like a half-waking dream. Mm-hmm. So you can always be dipping in, you know, but we try to keep it on one channel when we're awake so our heads don't explode. <laughs> Mine's always in danger of exploding, especially when I have yes. conversations like this with experts like you because it's hard to get my mind around some of these concepts. Um, it is. Yeah. It is. These are tricksy. They, they really are. We're talking tonight with Dr. Susan Plunkett. Uh, again, her website is her name, susanplunkett.com author of books including Mission from Venus, The Wanderers on Earth. Now, these are the first two of a trilogy, right, Susan? Is there a third one yes. coming, or have you already finished it? I'm writing it now. I'm on Chapter 6. 
And so these I don't are, know what's going to happen because they haven't downloaded it all. To right, me these yet. are a result of of the channeling and the information you're receiving um, as you've been talking about tonight. Yeah, all three of these books are channeled, so I can only write when I have access. So, like when COVID first started, I became so anxious. I lived in New I live in New York City, and I was worried for my patients. I was worried for my family. I was worried for the world, and Will will I be able to see patients? How is that going to work? How are we going to pay the bills? Just all the concerns everyone had. So I wasn't, I think I was just too anxious to channel. So a couple months went by when I was just trying to understand, like, what was happening on Earth and why why was COVID happening? And then finally, I, I as we all did, we got used to it. We calmed down. Um, and they sent me a message that this was a catalyst for humanity, and it's one bug, they said, as I said, one bug to connect us all so that we see that, you know, when a butterfly flaps its wings or a bat gets eaten in China, it affects, you know, Canada and New York and South Africa, you know. It's like that's how connected we all are that we all have to be responsible for one another. Are, are, so, you, are you saying that, that this pandemic we're experiencing, COVID specifically, uh, is part of a greater plan, or are you just saying this was an observation made? It was an observation. Like, it, I don't think anyone intended to cause it, or, okay. or God, or nobody intended to cause it, but since it did happen, we could, we could consider it a catalyst for our own growth. Because a lot of it did give tremendous opportunity for service to others. I mean, I don't know how everyone, how I only could have experienced it as it happened in New York City, where there were quite a number of people died and had these big refrigerator trucks, and there were 50 bodies in each refrigerator truck. And, you know, one day I walked by one of the refrigerator trucks, and there was a young man, and he was hugging the truck. And he was crying because he couldn't have been with whoever it was that died, but he knew they were in the truck. And I was like, oh, my God, he's hugging the truck. And then there were the people whose bodies were claimed, and they had to be buried in Potter's Field, Mm -hmm. which is where in New York you get buried if no one claims you. So there's so many things, and there were people burying them, and then there were people caring for the people who were sick. And then there were all the healthcare workers, and I particularly loved and appreciated all the delivery boys. They were out in their bicycles, in their winter jackets, just delivering groceries to people and medicines to people. And then there were guys in the grocery store spraying down the lettuce and mopping the floors and taping six feet apart, and, you know, it's flipped on its head like who's essential. All the freaking Wall Street guys, they're not essential. Who's essential is the delivery boys and the lettuce washing men. Right. And the nurses and the nurses' aides and the janitors in the hospitals. That's who's essential. Because people were getting out of cabs and dying outside the ER at New York Hospital before they could even get into the ER at one point. So... It was a very hairy situation, but full of love and appreciation. Like, 
you just appreciated everyone. And every time I walked by someone with a mask, which was all the time, um, I loved them because I thought they're taking care of all of us just as I'm taking care of all of us. It, it, was, it became like a sign of solidarity. Like, okay, we're all in this together. and We don't want this thing to spread. So we're going to do what we can, wash our hands, wear a mask, stay home. Know, not take that vacation or do needless trips. Like Trader Joe said, please come once a month. And so everybody tried to just go once a month with a big cart. People went with empty baby carriages. People went with wagons. People went with carts. And they just tried to do it once a month. You know, it was such beautiful cooperation. At least I felt that in my part of New York City. And I think it was probably similar in other parts. Because, you know, we live so close together here that it's really spread here. The, t- the title of the second book is uh, The Wanderers on Earth. Let's talk about the wanderers a, l- a little bit. You, okay. you mentioned them before, um, but explain who and what they are and what they're doing here on Earth and how they are represented here on Earth. They're humans. For example, like... I think maybe the Beatles were possibly wanderers. Definitely oh, wow. Jesus was a wanderer. Uh, I think Ben Franklin was a wanderer. Tesla was a wanderer. Um, they have told me that channel, the, peop, the beings, the, the subtle light beings who channel, said there are approximately 80 million wanderers incarnate as human now trying to spread this message of love. They're probably radio show hosts and writers, and actors, and nurses, and, you know, in every profession. But in essence, what a wanderer is, is someone who's achieved a higher dimensional consciousness, say fifth dimensional consciousness, who volunteers to go to a planet that's in transition, as Earth is now in transition between the third and fourth dimension, to help as many people who are living there wake up, and realize that they are divine beings because that is the realization needed for them to make the leap to the fourth dimension with their planet. And the Council of Nine, the beings who are responsible for our solar system, always want as many beings to evolve to the next dimension at, each, at the end of each period of time as possible. So the wanderers, well, it's a long-term plan because the wanderers have to be born as human infants and grow up and wake up because they don't remember their wanderers. They don't know their wanderers off, you know, until they wake up and they get help waking up through their dreams and through meeting other wanderers who set off things in them. So basically a wanderer is a volunteer from a higher dimension to help us, as many of us as possible, become fourth dimensional along with Earth because we want to progress back to Source. Because that is, you know, when you're in union with Source, the, the universe lives in a state of cosmic orgasm. So when we're separate from that, we feel lonely and less happy. But when we return, we, you know, we go back into bliss. So the wanderers want to help everyone get there, and themselves too, because 
you progress on the path of light through service to others. So the wanderer's motivation is also to be of service, to help others because it helps them. The only danger is if you don't wake up, if you're a fifth dimensional being, you incarnate into the third dimension and you never wake up and realize you're fifth dimensional, you get stuck in the third dimension. And a worse thing could happen. You could be attacked by the dark side who doesn't want you to wake up and even dragged over to the dark side for a few hundred thousand years. So it's risky to be a wanderer. So these wanderers I write about in the book are made up characters, but the story is true. And they're all at risk. They can be killed by the dark side, or they can be dragged to the dark side, or they might just not wake up. So there, it's, not no, it's not a no-risk proposition to be a wanderer. And still, there are 80 million incarnate around the Earth now. Can we identify them? And do we feel their their uniqueness? Is there an energy associated with them if you're in their presence and or you're maybe watching them on television or you know, or right. hearing, hearing a song that was created by, you know, does that energy yes, come through? Yes, the reason that I said that I thought maybe John Lennon and possibly all the Beatles were wanderers, because John Lennon's message was, you know that song Imagine? Yeah, of course, yeah. That, that's, that's a fourth dimensional song. That sentiment, that's talking about, you know, imagine if we had this, you know, in the world could live as one. Right. Anytime you hear somebody talking about the world could live as one, this is a fourth dimensional message. And of course he was murdered. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, um, we just passed the point. I think it was, uh, actually I don't remember the date. He would have been 80 years old on October 8th. I think it was meaning he has now been gone. Yeah, now been gone longer than he was alive, and that was quite a milestone to pass. Right, right. He's, he's a, he was a Libra. Yeah. I was aware of that because I'm a Libra. Yeah, and I think he was, he was, was he killed on December 8th? Uh, this, yeah, December 8th, he was, so that's exactly right, yeah, 1980. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember the night he was killed because I was in, I was in Central, I was in, it was a, I was at Lincoln Center. Oh, wow. He was shot just a few blocks from where I was. Wow. Um because he was shot as he was entering the Dakota where he lived. That's in the right. Apartment building. That's 72nd Street, am I right about yeah, that? Yeah, in Central Park West, yeah. yeah. And yeah. they shot him, he shot, shot him right there. So, yeah, I think in answer to your question, anybody who talks about the world living as one, and it could be a songwriter, it could be, you could be a wanderer. I mean, anybody who resonates with those ideas is probably a wanderer, uh, which is fascinating. So, yeah, I think we have to listen to the way people talk and the way they treat other people. Anybody who's talking like that they want, they don't want anything for themselves that they don't want all people to have um, is of that consciousness. And anybody who's talking about separation and, you know, prejudice and hatred is a lower vibrational being, not not yet with the program. They'll get there, but they're not yet aware that we are all one and the world could live as one and imagine that. 
One of the themes that you address in the books um, is this idea of healing. Uh, some of it is is like a self-healing concept as well. Talk about healing as it relates to this. Um, healing is such a beautiful thing because we think we have to go to the doctor. Yes, it's wonderful to go to the doctor, and I would never say don't go to the doctor. But light also heals. And I heard a wonderful thing within the last three months or a couple months from Cindy Dale, who's, you may or may not know her, she's an intuitive, she lives in Minnesota. And she says it's so simple that there are things called scalar waves, which come from the absolute. They're a form of subtle energy or light energy. And she said, if you want to heal something in your body or your mind or your heart or or in someone you love, you just say, I affirm my soul, I affirm my spirit, I affirm all my guides, all my guardians, and I affirm my connection to the absolute. And I ask the absolute to send me the scalar waves that I need to heal my liver functioning or to heal my acid reflux, or to heal my arthritis, and to just to keep sending me these scalar waves. And she said it's important to ask them to be scalar waves from the absolute because the absolute and scalar waves are far older than our universe, you know, which we think starts from the Big Bang because we know that many things pre-existed our universe because Dark matter is older than the Big Bang, for right. example. Mm-hmm. So she says, just ask for the scalar waves. So every day I'm busy sending scalar waves to anyone who I think. And she said, you know, they don't have to accept them. Their higher self does not have to accept them. But you ask and you send them with the caveat that their own higher self will decide whether they want that healing. And scalar waves are just, she said, they can bend and shift, and they know exactly what to do. You don't have to say, oh, I have a fatty liver, oh, I have elevated liver enzymes. You can just say, please heal my liver. Or, you know, you don't have to say, my esophageal sphincter isn't working right. You can just say, could you heal that pain I have in my chest? So I think everyone should just, empower themselves to call on scalar waves from the absolute to help whatever else they're doing, whatever your doctor's telling you or whatever medication you might be taking, you can boost it yourself with scalar waves. Of course, therapy also can help heal because when you release emotional trauma, you're healing the body because emotional trauma is stored in the body. The liver decides where to stick it. You know, am I going to give it a lower back pain? Am I going to give it arthritic knees? You know, where am I going to put this trauma? Um, And so as you you release emotional stress, you you release stuff from the body because whatever you don't process emotionally gets downloaded into our tissue. And as we get older and older, we've downloaded more and more stuff into our tissue. So... Journaling, it doesn't have to be therapy. You don't have to go to therapy. You can be dream work to process emotional stuff. It can be journaling. It can be meditating. It can be dancing. But it's good to process our emotions. It can be a conversation 
with someone. But, you know, other, if we don't process it, we will stick it in the body, and that will hurt us in the long run. And that is another way of explaining or maybe defining how people and doctors in the medical community will say, you know, stress is, a, is an agent yeah. for disease. That's exactly right, because the stress downloads into the tissue, because if you can't process it emotionally, it will be stored in the body. So the more stress you have, the harder job you'll have processing it all. Susan, are we creating reality? When we look yes. at anything, are we creating re- the reality we see? Yes, because, well, even on a simple level, like you and I can see a rainbow, but our dogs can't see a rainbow. They, don't eat, they can't see it because they don't see that spectrum, for one thing. So physicists have been telling us now for a number of years that the observer affects what's observed. So we, we kind of know that now. And the other way we create reality is that we're also learning through science that there is a collective consciousness that exists like like the cloud, and we have these things in our head called brains which receive consciousness from all the consciousness that's out there. And we are choosing which consciousness we want to receive, not that we're not consciously doing it, but whatever level we're vibrating at is going to attract certain experiences. So if you're vibrating with joy, you're going to attract joyful experiences and you're going to see the joy in reality. If you're vibrating with a lot of negative energy, you're going to see the negative. You know, you're gonna, the glass is half full. Or if you're full of joy, the glass is, I mean, half empty, then it's half full, or it's all the way full. We're absolutely creating our reality. I mean, on the simplest level, two days ago, my daughter, who's 26, said to me, I'm going to have the most joyful day. I'm going to just vibrate with joy and bring joy into my life. And I was delighted to hear this, because that's not always her attitude. So... About 20 minutes after that, the doorman rang and said, you have a food delivery. And we said, we didn't order anything. And he said, well, it says Anastasia on it. That's her name, Anastasia, Anna. So he put it in the elevator, and it was two cronuts. I didn't know what a cronut was, but, boy, is it good. It's a cross between a croissant and a donut. Well, that sounds delicious. <laughs> oh, my God. It is so. I think it was only invented eight years ago or something, but... It is so good. So we got these two cronuts. And I said, it's because of you. It's because you said you wanted joy. I mean, they were really delicious. We still do not know who sent them. She's starting to think, well, which friend could have sent this? Who delivered these? And we Uh never did find out. She even called the bakery, and they said it was an anonymous thing. Wow. And then she goes to the store to get shampoo, and... An older Chinese man walks up to her and says, here's a coupon for $8. It's going to expire tomorrow. I can't use it because the product that I want is out of stock, and I have plenty of coupons. <laughs> so he handed her the coupon, and she got her shampoo for free for the coupon. Oh, wow. You see, it's true, what, you know, but you can create misery, too. I have another friend who, like, 
I love her dearly, but she's, you know, her toilet is stopped up, and then she goes on complaining about it for several days, and then once they discover the, to- the toilet is stopped up, they discover there's a problem with the pipe in the walls, and they have to take her wall apart. I mean, and on and on it goes. Yeah. So you can, yes, we're creating reality, and we do it unconsciously through our vibration. So we, we vibrate in a certain way, and then we see what our vibration pulls to us. I think it's called the law of attraction. Yeah, right. But, um, but I, I actually believe that that's true. You know, there are probably other ways to describe it, but that's one way. We do affect, you know, why do we, why are we walking down the street with a friend and one of us sees the person coming at it with this boa constrictor wrapped around their shoulders and the other doesn't? You know, we're always making choices about what to focus on. We um, went through our time rather quickly and we left so much on the table. But before we go, I, I do need to ask you this. There is a lot of stress and anxiety and uncertainty in our world, and particularly our country right now. We're, we're experiencing yeah. things that no one ever expected to experience in their lifetimes and certainly don't want their children to experience these types of things. But what is your uh, vision or expectation? Are we going to get through this? And how does humanity exit these types of problems in a way that might give us some hope? We are definitely going to get through it. And within two or three hundred years, there will be paradise on earth. And the way we get through it is by working together and loving one another. And we are all capable of doing that because we are all divine. And in the long run, the happiness of every being is assured. And we are so loved. We are so loved by the creator that we are part of, that we flew out from. If we can just remember that, we can just remember that we are so beloved and Earth is going into the fourth dimension, we are proceeding, we are all proceeding, and we will all know bliss and we will all eventually be living in a state of cosmic orgasm. We have to just endure. We have to just remember, reach back over the fence, help the next guy over the fence. Just reach back. Be of service to everyone, and you will have a happy life. The first two books of the trilogy are available, Mission from Venus and The Wanderers on Earth. Where can people find them? They can find them on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, but Amazon is probably as easy. Given the fact that we left so much on the table, Susan, I'm going to make you promise you'll come back at some point. We can I, pick I up this conversation. I love talking to you. You are the easiest person in the world to talk to. <laughs> oh, thank you. Anyway... A- Blessings to everybody listening. Remember that you're God. Remember you're divine and that you are loved. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.